You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Welcome to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. I hope you are enjoying your offseason and also the playoffs. They've been absolutely fantastic as we're getting closer and closer to the World Series. This is what we have for you today. Former athletics, Johnny Gomes and Nick Swisher. Evan Drellich from The Athletic talking about the public trust, baseball, and its baseballs. And then Dr. Meredith Wills, the astrophysicist who also has been doing a great job on The Athletics talking about baseballs and why are they flying further during the regular season and not so much in the postseason. First, let's talk about Johnny Gomes. Johnny Gomes was a terrific Oakland athletic. Johnny Gomes is a World Series champion. The guy is a winner. From Petaluma, came up with the Rays, and has just been on so many different teams and won in the postseason. And he truly is that guy that when he comes into your clubhouse, he becomes a leader immediately. We saw that in 2012. Johnny Gomes stepped in from spring training on and helped lead the A's to one of their most fun and special years of all time, the 2012 AL West winning Oakland Athletics. We got a chance recently on A's Cast Live to catch up with our old friend, and I can tell you, one of the favorite guys I've ever covered in baseball. Here is... Johnny Gomes. Well, now he's joining us here on A's Cast Live. He's one of our favorite athletics of all time. He's a World Series champion. The great Johnny Gomes is with us. Johnny, how are you, my friend? Just such an honor to talk to you guys, and this is just a great time of year. We had college football with baseball playoffs, NFL football with playoffs. Awesome time to be locked in as a sports fan. Yeah, I just got back from Reno this weekend, and when you're up there in the sports book and you got all this going, it's like it's like the greatest thing ever when you have all this football and all this baseball. And, Johnny, you know as much as anybody, this time of the year with these baseball games, what they mean, the pressure, it's unreal. It really is um, where it is now. Um, I mean, there's some, like, super teams, super good players. Um what I like is, you know, obviously there can only be one winner, but, you know, the losers are just absolutely devastated. Like, I can only happen, imagine what's going on in Dodger camp right now. Like, that was not supposed to happen. And then that same thing's going to happen with Houston and New York. Um, and, uh, I mean, these teams are built to win, and such good players, such good strategy, and just an absolute, like, alpha chess match going on these days. Yeah, an absolute heavyweight fight in the ALCS, and now it heads back to New York. You know, I I think the Yankees got exactly what they they wanted, right? They they got one in Houston, which was huge. 
Yeah, they got one in Houston, and they got some guys that are hot right now. Um, and when those guys are hot, it's it's some some crazy to watch. But um, that Houston team, man, these guys are so young, and I actually really enjoy watching that ball club because they're just so young and athletic and dynamic and one through nine are power threats and one through nine are 300 average hitters. Um, just to keep those guys in check says a lot about New York, and it's a fun series to watch. What is the mentality like in the clubhouse of a great team, like the great teams you have been on? What is that mentality like, especially in October? It's pretty cool. I mean, when you're, you know, when you look back on it, you know, those winning ball clubs and, I mean, how much you're doing for the guy next to you. I mean, you are literally pulling so hard for that dude that's at the plate. You're willing to do anything you can to find a tip or to find any sort of advanced information to share it, not for yourself. Because uh, you realize, like, you are now just like a tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle to win the World Series. Um, going in 2008 um, and then losing to Philly when I was with Tampa really sunk in just absolutely how hard it is to win. And, I mean, there's – every single angle just dissecting you as a defensive guy and as an offensive guy to try and beat you that night, that pitch. So there's so much that goes into just every single pitch. And we learned so much about it, especially with Tyler Glass now, where he was tipping his pitches, fastball to curveball, of where, when he was coming set, where the glove was with the ball in the glove. If it was higher up, it was a fastball. If it was lower, it was going to be a breaking ball. Looking at every little thing. And I think about what a heady player you were. Bob Melvin has always said he thinks you'd make a great manager. What was that like, whether it was watching video or watching a guy live, or it was someone at the plate, always trying to find that little edge, that little something over the opposing team. Yeah, it is pretty, pretty cool craft and talent to have. And um, not a lot of guys do the, the really advanced, you know, way to break someone down. But it's so rewarding when you do find that tip. I mean, it's like you might be on it and then you got to go back and maybe he did it on just that pitch. Maybe he did it on the game. Maybe he did it on purpose. And now he's going to show up to the game and the pitches are going to be reversed. Um, but when you crack that code and you're able to share that information with the team, um, I always say, like, if there's an ace on the mound or if there's a dude with who has electric stuff, if he gets hit and hit hard, there's something behind it, absolutely, because those guys just don't have bad games. Um, and there might be a tip that happens just that game that you find in the third inning. So it's like zero, zero, zeros in the fourth and fifth inning. It's like four spot, three spot. Um so it's cool. At this time, October baseball, when something dramatic happens, there's huge reports and information behind it versus the season. It's almost just talent on talent. Now there's just, it's like I said, it's a full-blown chess match. It's pretty cool. Before we get into the NLCS, just what was it like playing big games at Yankee Stadium? Uh, big games at old Yankee Stadium was what it was about. Uh the new one is still awesome. It's still electric. But old Yankee Stadium, man, I remember going in there, and in the beginning, it's kind of like, it's like eerie. There's just like this, it's so much history and so much stuff still sunk in that building. Um, and you want to do well, obviously, but my gosh, you do not want to do bad because those fans are on you. And, um, you know, th those are the lights you want to shine under, which is pretty cool. 
And then how about where the Nationals are right now? I mean, they're playing with house money. Playing with total house money. It's unbelievable. I mean, when you got Scherzer coming out of the pen, Patrick Corbin coming out of the pen, um, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the 0-1 Diamondbacks with Randy and Schilling just leading the way all the way down. Um, and then they got some electric, awesome players. They're super talented, super fast, super athletic. Um, you know, and then you got the old Zimmerman coming off the bench too. They're, they're, they're exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, it's like, they do have house money, but at the end of the day, they should be there. They should be, um, supposed to beat St. Louis. St. Louis is also playing with house money. Um, and it's cool to watch the national league style over there, the pinch hitting, the switching, what happens in the eight hole. Do they pitch around the pitcher? Pitcher should never get a hit, but he does get a hit. They pitch to him. Um, these are two two awesome series going on. You know, the strategy in the National League um, versus just the heavyweight bout in the American League. But, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a fun matchup. What game did you like playing better in? Did you like playing American League or did you like playing National League? It, it was it was different for me. I love the strategy. I love following the pitch count of the pitcher. I love following the batting order. Um, you know, you get the vet guys that can literally – navigate their way through a lineup, you know, starting at the four hole, you know, you can go walk, walk, double play, walk, you know, your pitch count goes up, but no damage. Cause you can pitch around so many guys uh, really cool to be a part of, but being in there for a long time, watching pitchers hit, you just want to throw up in your mouth. You're like, Enough of this. I can't anymore. <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. Some, at some point it is going away, but like, look at tonight. How about this matchup? I mean, as a player, you're going into a matchup of Steven Strasburg up against Jack Flaherty. What would it be like playing in a game where you got this type of star power on the mound? Yeah, and that's where, you know, all the information, advanced info comes in because, I mean, you need as much help as you can just to get a hit against one of those dudes, let alone manufacture three, four runs. Um, and I love where the game is, too, with all these shifts and all this weird stuff. And, I mean, heaven forbid you lose that game because of a shift or um, in a big situation, does the does the guy choose to beat the shift or does he choose not to? If he should have snuck that ball to the right side would have got a knock and maybe did it and then maybe it's a homer so there's so much that goes into you know the national league right now with those two guys yeah i think about where we are today with shifting to where we always so you know we started to see it more and more with with left-handed hitters now we're seeing it with right-handed hitters how much were you shifted on in your career and if you were playing again today how would you go after the shift yeah, that's one of the hard things right now in coaching what I'm doing. And it's like the only thing that's going on in baseball almost nightly, inningly, that I didn't have to face. I didn't. So I don't know if I would have chose to go the other way or chose to take just a single for the hit. But um, it, it baffles me more times than not that a dude doesn't just try and shoot the ball the other way to manufacture some runs. But at the same time where it is, I mean, you're always a swing away you know, from changing the score. But it's kind of the only thing going on in baseball right now where you can just point your finger to selfishness. He's trying to go deep instead of trying to manufacture a run, get on for the next guy, extend the pitcher's pitch count, stuff like that. Let's end on this. You know, recently we've been we've been honoring all the great A's teams, and this year we, we 
look back at the championship team of 1989. At some point, we will honor 2012. It's 2012, I think, for all of us, whether you were playing it, you're covering it, just being around it. It was truly one of the more special years. I know my career, I also think for your career. When you look back, just just what do you think about, because you you're one of the main leaders of this team. What do you think back when you think back of that 2012 ball club? I mean, there's so much I have. I mean, I, I go back every once in a while, pull that roster up. I mean, you talk about just saying a lot, bad news bears. I just played the game the right way. I mean, when you talk about 162 games and we were in first place for four innings of the whole season, just so happened to be the last four, uh, covering like 14 games from like mid-August on, you know, one of the biggest comebacks and uh, deficit erasers. Um, but, you know, a lot of great stuff. But I tell you what, when Verlander beat us in game five at home and they celebrated, it was crazy to watch them stop celebrating and the whole Tigers team tipped their hat to us like the opponent that just put like they took time out of their celebration to be like that was pretty cool it was and um, I tell people especially Ace fans too I go like you know they're doing good they're awesome right now but don't forget about that year that year was awesome yeah it was special hey you love coaching is this something you think you're going to do long term it's all I know buddy is baseball I got no interest for anything else. Baseball rap. <laughs> yep. You are the best, my friend. We'll be in touch this offseason, yeah. and you know we all miss you here in Oakland. Right on, guys. Have a good one tonight. I can't tell you how many guys would say, I'll go to war with that guy at any time. Think about what he did helping the Kansas City Royals in 2015 after their major disappointment in 2014. Johnny Gomes, if he wants someday, We'll get an opportunity to manage in Major League Baseball. He is just that smart. How about Nick Swisher? We saw Nick earlier in the year, but it was great to catch up with him once again. A World Series champion in 2009, an All-Star in 2010, played for the A's from 2004 to 2007. Nick Swisher brings it every time. I don't think this guy's ever had a bad day. He's that personality. He's on go at all time. He's really good people and now works for FS1, breaking down baseball for Fox. Here's our old friend, a top 50 Oakland athletic, Nick Swisher. Well, our next guest needs no introduction to the A's crowd. He's a former athletic. He's a top 50 A all time. He's a World Series champion. He's an all-star. And now he's a TV star. Nick Swisher joins us once again here for a little time with the A's. How you doing, Swish? Oh, bro, that intro was phenomenal. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm doing great. You know what? Last time we saw you was at the event where you were top 50, and I I remember you were ear to ear when I was interviewing you. I know it meant a lot to you. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, let's be honest, man. Oaktown was the place that I came up. Gave me my first shot. Always had a, always have a lot of love for Oakland, baby. Always. And I think about this series coming up because you also are an advisor for the New York Yankees. You know, want to see the Astros get past the Rays because you want to see that heavyweight fight. You want to see the two best teams in the American League. I mean, this is just going to be a bloodbath starting on Saturday. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the Oakland A's beat the Rays in that one-game playoff. Because I think the Oakland A's could have given the Houston Astros everything that they wanted. Uh, I think right now, if you look back at the, the season that we just saw, 
I mean, we could have kind of told you this was going to happen in April. I mean, the top three teams in baseball at the start of the season, in my mind, were Houston Astros, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. So right now, to be able to have the matchup with the Astros and the Yankees, ALCS, right now, this could be the World Series. Absolutely. You know, it's hard for me, and I keep saying this to everybody, and I want you to think back to your playing days where you've got teams. you got a team that won 106 games. They're out. you got a team that won 101 games. They're out. you got the A's who won 97. They're out. The Rays, 96. They're out. The Braves, 97. They're out. It's crazy the amount of wins it took just to get into the postseason this year. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, look at the product that these teams are putting out on the field, regardless of payroll, for the Oakland A's to win 97 games, for the Rays to win 90-some games. I mean, that's almost unheard of. To be able to get that much back on your initial investment is absolutely tremendous. But let's be honest, man. I mean, guys like Billy Bean, he's been doing this for years, bro. 2002, when Moneyball came out, this guy knew what he was going to do ahead of everything else. The one thing that Billy always does say, though, that, hey, my philosophy and the way I do things doesn't always work in the postseason. I think for Oakland, man, the seasons that they've had over the past five, six years have been tremendous, man. There's just so much upside, and there's so many great players that are coming through Oakland. The only problem is, is once you make a name for yourself in Oakland, that's usually when you move on, whether that's to sign a bigger contract or that's whether to get traded in for new prospects. I mean, that's how Oakland kind of continues to keep everything rolling right now. I think just in general, man, we've got such a great game going on right now. We've got so many great athletes, so many great teams. For me, it's so much fun watching, especially on the outside now. Because when you retire, man, your life completely changes. And as an athlete, everything is kind of about you. You've got to make sure you wake up. got to make sure you have your breakfast at the same time, your lunch at the same time. Well, now that I'm on the TV side, I'm having so much fun pumping up these players that we have in today's game because in my mind we got the greatest game going right now so the thing that what you talked about with the a's and what they're trying to change is chris davis just signed an extension i do believe there's a chance matt chapman will sign an extension here in the offseason where they're trying to get a new ballpark that is really the change now from your era is now it's all about staying in oakland it's all about building around the players and keeping the players and i think for you that's got to sound refreshing Oh, my gosh, it sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, listen, everybody wants to be Cal Ripken. Everybody wants to play for one team their entire career. At least I know I did. And coming up with the Oakland A's with the fan base and just the overall just connection that I had with the city and the organization and the fans, I thought I was going to have the ability to do that. Obviously, leaving and going to the Chicago White Sox, getting traded over in 2007, getting ready for the 2008 season was heartbreaking for me because that was the team that I thought that, hey, man, we're such a young group of guys, man. We've got such a great camaraderie. And I think that's carried over till till now. Come September in the second half of the season, teams like the Oakland A's, the, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, nobody wants to play those guys in the second half because things start to click, right? Those young players come up. They start to do their thing because when you're in an organization that, you know, promotes success, if you have success, you move up the ladder. That's awesome, especially for young players, because you know if you play well, you're going to get an opportunity to play in the big leagues. I think that's tremendous. As soon as they can get themselves a new stadium, I think that's when a lot of things are going to change. But then again, bro, they've been talking about getting a new stadium when I was there. So I'm not quite sure exactly how that's going to work out, but I definitely have my fingers crossed for it, too.
You know, and, and I think about this upcoming year, and I've already been mentioning this on the show. You know, when, when, when you have Houston win 107 games, you can't get out to a slow start. And the good thing about the A's, and we had the Bob Melvin show, kind of the wrap-up show final for the year, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot of roster adjustments. They pretty much got what they have, and they're going to be ready to rock. So the key for the A's is to have a full season, not something where you get hot in May, not something where you get hot in June, where you stay steady from game one to 162. Because, Swish, you're going to win your division now in the American League. You've got to win well over 100 games. Oh, yeah, man. I remember back in the day, you felt like if you won 89 to 92 games, you were going to win the division. But that's not quite the case anymore. You brought up a name, Bob Melvin. I mean, let's be honest. How lucky is Oakland to have somebody like that? Just his overall swag, his overall connection with the cities, with the players, the way that he goes about his business each and every day. I mean, let's be honest. This guy has the chance to be the manager of the year each and every year. If you don't have somebody like that leading your organization, the Oakland A's aren't nearly where they should be, in my opinion. Bob Melvin, one of the best in the game, and you guys should be so blessed to have somebody like that. So the ALCS will start tomorrow in Houston. Handicapped is you're, – you're working around this game, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, on, I'm in the car on the way to the airport right now, getting ready to catch an 8.30 flight out to H-Town. I mean, it's going to be great, man. You know that atmosphere there. When things get going in, in, in Houston and they close the dome, that place can get rocking. So I think for me, man, just to be able to go back and experience that just adrenaline and that just excitement around the game, those are the things that I'm most excited about. How do you handicap the series? Well, I think a lot of things happen good. You know, I think for the Yankees, obviously going in and sweeping the series, you know, that can either do one of two things. That can either give your guys time, a little bit of time to rest, or it can kind of get their timing off a little bit. I think the one great thing the Yankees do have going for them is that the Rays played the Astros tough and made Justin Verlander throw another 100 pitches, made Garrett Cole come back for game five and throw another 100 pitches. And obviously, if you're not starting off with that routine game one starter in Justin Verlander, you're throwing it over to Zach Greinke. And let's be honest, man. I mean, after facing two flamethrowers like Verlander and Garrett Cole, when you can get in the batter's box to face a surgeon like Zach Grinke, I mean, I'm breaking my ankles trying to get in the batter's box because I at least can see the baseball coming in. You know, so I think right now with where everything is, there's not a lot of holes in these lineups right here. Obviously, everybody's talked about starting pitching from the New York Yankees. I don't think anybody's talked about any holes the Houston Astros have. One through nine, they bring thunder just as well the Yankees do too. So, like you said, man, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight. And in my mind, this thing is going seven. You know, when I think about the Astros, and we got we get to see them so much taking on the A's. You know where they're so tough? Everybody's hitting home runs right now. With this baseball, everybody's hitting home runs. The thing that's so uh, tough about the Houston Astros is they make contact, they don't strike out, and they make a lot of quality contact. So many people talk about home runs, especially with the Yankees. But, man, the Astros put the ball in play. And you know as a defensive player, that's not easy to deal with. Oh, bro, not at all. I mean, let's be honest. If I was a pitcher in today's game, I would much rather face a home run hitter than a, than, than a bat-on-ball type of guy. I think the one thing, you know, like you said, the Houston Astros do such a tremendous job, first in baseball, bat-to-ball. And then this offseason, you go pick up one of the best bat-to-ball players in the game in Michael Brantley. It just kind of seems like they just add to their roster each and every year. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Garrett Cole this year. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of him going to Anaheim this year. 
I mean, you know, I heard Dan Plesak on MLB talking about how he thinks that he could be the first $40 million a year player. And in my mind right now, Garrett Cole can come over to an organization, change it around in a heartbeat because that kid has confidence. He's got swagger and he's got a right arm that people would kill to have. And he may be the first guy that we've seen in a while, Swish, where he's a big-name free agent and all the big-time teams with money may be coming after him. It's been a while since we've seen a guy like this. Oh, yeah, and I think that's where, I think that's where you're starting to hear things like 35 to $40 million a year. Bro, can you believe that? We're at an age now where a baseball player is going to make $40 million in a year. That's unbelievable. But at the end of the day, there's only one Garrett Cole, 20 and five on the season. I think he's 18 and 0 in his last 20 some starts. I mean, that's almost unheard of. That's like Pedro Martinez type numbers. And obviously, the way he's pitching in the postseason is only going to add to his pocket. He's had a tremendous season, and whoever ends up getting him, whether it's the Anaheim Angels or it's the Houston Astros or you know the Boston Red Sox or the New York Yankees or all those big teams. Whoever ends up getting this kid is going to hit the jackpot, in my mind. Let's end on this. You're around the Yankees, and normally when you're around the Yankees, it's tough to win manager of the year because you're the Yankees. You got all the talent. You got all the money. But Aaron Boone, the job he has done this year with all of the injuries, just talk about the season that he has had. He learned them from last year, and, boy, what a great job he did as a skipper of the Yankees this season. Oh, I mean, let's be honest. This guy takes over the helm after Joe Girardi, who had a magical uh, career in New York as a manager, first two seasons of his career, back-to-back 100-win seasons? I mean, bro, that's almost unheard of. Brian Cashman gave him to the keys of the Ferrari, and you know what he did? He somehow added some horsepower to that Ferrari. He somehow shined it up a little more. He added some rims, right? I think when the thing that I've learned most about Aaron Boone and from being around him that I enjoy the most about it is just his overall demeanor the way he carries himself. For myself, obviously, I want to manage here at some point in my life, and I'll take a lot of things from his book. The way he handles his players, the way he handles his me- the media, I mean, he just understands exactly who he is and what he needs to do. I think Brian Cashman made a tremendous selection when they picked him up, man. He understands the Yankee way. He played for the Yankees. He had success for the Yankees, and now he's having success as a Yankee skipper, man. I think for New York, you know, New York Yankee universe, they could not be more blessed to have somebody like that. He understands what they need to do, and he goes out. He provides that excitement for his players, but he also can provide that hug if they need it to. And last time I checked, those Ohio State Buckeyes are no joke either. Oh, bro, we ain't messing around, baby. Justin Fields doing his thing right now, man. Who would have thought that kid would have came on and been as tremendous as he has? I mean, for me, man, I'm loving it. I got my Yankees going on. My Oakland A's were in the playoffs. My Ohio State Buckeyes are doing it so far in football this year. I'm telling you, man, it's been a good year for me so far. (laughs) What year hasn't been a good year for you? I don't know, man. They've all been pretty good in my mind. (laughs) They've all been pretty good in my mind. I tell you what, man, it's just, I just feel so blessed, man. I've been so fortunate to play for some unbelievable organizations. Obviously, Oakland being the one that I first started off with now. And to be able to do what I'm doing now, man, I'm just loving life, man. Just trying to enjoy every second of it because you never know when your last one's going to be. This game is one of the greatest games in the world, and it is dug and built into my chest, man. And each and every year it continues to grow and grow. So I'm just super stoked to be talking to you. 
especially talking about a game that I love because it's so easy to do this stuff. All right, Swish, we'll be watching you tomorrow night on television. Be well. You got to be. Oh, game four, throwing out the first pitch too, bro. Check it Are out. Are you really? <laughs> yes, sir. Oh. What an honor. I could not be. I'm so nervous. I am absolutely super, probably one of the more nerve-wracking moments of my life, but I cannot wait for it. You have to stand on the rubber. Oh, man, do I? I'm so nervous. I was thinking maybe I could stand in front of the mound, but now that you say it, bro, I'm going back to the rubber. I'm going to tow the rubber, my you man. you got to tow the slab and make sure you throw a tow strike. The slab. Oh, bro, no pressure, right? No pressure at all. Hey, have a safe flight. All right, my friend. Thank you, my man. You guys take care, bro. Swishalicious. Man, that guy gets me fired up. He makes me want to run through a wall. So I love having Johnny Gomes. Love having Nick Swisher. Up next, this is a reality. You, you normally do not talk about equipment at this time of the year. You're not worried about equipment. Equipment's like the last thing on your mind. You're talking about pitchers throwing balls and strikes. You're talking about playing defense. You're talking about doing the little things, fundamental baseball. That's what works in the postseason. But unfortunately, that's not what's happening. Our next two guests are talking about one of the main topics. And, we, you know, you're not talking about the puck in hockey. You're not talking about the basketball in hoops. And you're not talking about the football in the NFL. But for some reason, one of the biggest stories this year, and may end up being the biggest story, is the baseball. Why is the baseball flying out at record rates during the regular season, but then not so much in the postseason? Evan Drellich of The Athletic, who we've had multiple time, we've had him on multiple times on Ace Cast Live, did a very interesting article about public trust and baseball right now and the story they're telling us about the change in the actual baseball. Here's Evan Drellitz. Evan, it's great to have you back on A's Cast Live. How are you? What's going on, Chris? Thanks for having me. And, of course, tomorrow is your birthday, so let's all say happy birthday to you early. You're too sweet. How, so uh, how old are you going to be? Wow, it's getting personal now. I'm going to be 32. What do I have left to look forward to, Chris? Oh, you got a lot. Don't worry. I'm 47. You got a long way to go. You're still you're still in your prime. That's kind of you, although I think in baseball at this point I would have been phased out. But uh, <laughs> that is kind of you. All right, so not too long ago we had issues with Tom Brady and whether he was deflating baseballs or not. We haven't had this much talk about equipment since that time, that scandal with the New England Patriots. You just did a great article on The Athletic, as you guys all do, talking about the baseballs and whether the baseballs, the ones that we were using during the regular season, are the same ones we're using in the postseason. What is going on with the baseball? Well, If you go into the real bird's eye view, you have a public trust problem right now. And Twitter does not represent every voice, radio. None of us represent every voice. But clearly people are watching what's going on. You see a record number of home runs and going, I don't believe what Major League Baseball is saying. So you can go two ways. You can, you can accept and try to work off of the facts that MLB has put forth, which at this moment I'd say I'm probably inclined to believe because if, if this really was a situation where they were juicing the ball and dejuicing the ball and publicly lying about it over and over and over, and there was some smoking gun to be found eventually, these people would be in major trouble. I mean, Rob Manfred gets uh, you know, fired immediately if this is ever proven, uh, at least I would think. So 
the way I look at it right now and the way it's been explained to me, if you boil it down, it's more or less a form of incompetence or simply a lack of foresight. For years, people weren't able to measure the ball as accurately as you can now with StatCast and Rob Arthur at uh, Baseball Perspectives pointed out you can do it with pitch FX as well, kind of older technology, whatever. They didn't really pay any attention to this manufacturing process until something went wrong. And now you have a problem unfurling in front of you for all of us to see, and nobody really believes MLB, in part because they bought into Rawlings. And they don't actually run the operation of Rawlings day-to-day, at least uh, that's what I'm told. Uh, MLB itself owns about 25% of the company, and then uh, one of the major league owners is a company that owns another 75%, but it still has its own infrastructure. It's this complicated thing, but they shot themselves in the foot, and they've lost public trust in whether or not that ball is juiced or not. Yeah, reading your article, it's the the Padres owner and his company. So basically, 100% of Rawlings is owned by some type of entity that's tied to Major League Baseball, correct? That's correct. So this wasn't really something that was announced to us. Was it ever that how big of involvement that, that Major League Baseball has with the actual company when talking about ownership? I mean, guys like you now are bringing it up, but they never really came public with this. Is that correct? Well, when Rawlings was bought, uh, this was last year, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal article. It's more of a business story. I don't know if it grabbed people's attention. What I've noticed and seen people say offhand is MLB – owns MLB runs Rawlings now. So I set out to ask, is that really the case? Uh, And yes, a hundred percent of it does tie back to MLB. uh, You know, even if there's kind of a couple intermediaries in between. Um, But I I think, look, all these owners are business people. You know, they looked at Rawlings as a business proposition. Then publicly, there there are MLB executives who have been on the record saying, you know, we want some more oversight with the baseball. That's true. I think when they bought Rawlings, they did want uh, and believe they would gain an ability to to say, hey, no, we don't want to move the factory here or we don't want this piece of equipment. But to describe it as this takeover, so MLB kind of went into Rawlings and now is running everything, it doesn't sound like they are. It, It really sounds like, MLB has realized they cannot control the baseball's manufacturing process nearly as consistently as they want to. Uh, And it's just creating this major egg on their face. And again, that's a view of one where you're kind of accepting what they're giving you, you know, and and I'm, I'm one of the first people to to cast a skeptical eye, but that that's what we're, we're being given at this point. You know, the, the, the thing for me, like in sports, when you talk about manufacturing, I mean, the one thing is, like, you can manufacture a golf ball and make them pretty much all the same, pro V1s, right? Let's say Titleist. Or you look at footballs, or you look at the, the basketball that they use in the NBA. I, it's, I, I find it hard to believe that they just can't keep manufacturing the ball and make it consistent. Well, you're right, but you got to remember there's a lot more, golf balls aside, but, but I think even compared to them, um, think of the number of baseballs that are be going through. It's a massive quantity of these things. And in their defense, they point this out. It is a lot of natural materials, right? If they want to change the ball, if they, if they want to fix this going forward, where they stand now, there's going to be a report that comes out 
probably around the end of the postseason, so late October, I don't know, maybe early November, is when this thing goes public. The belief at the moment is it'll center on the seams. Even if they figure out what the problem is, and they say, okay, the seams change, the seams uh, lower, higher, whatever, it's not a guarantee, and in fact, it might be unlikely that they have the ability right now in their manufacturing process to make sure that doesn't happen going forward. It's one thing to know what the problem is. It's another thing to be able to actually fix it. So you might be stuck with a choice of we want to change the baseball away from leather. We want to change it away from all these natural materials, uh, the, diff- the layers of wool. Um, or you accept a world where the manufacturing process is not going to be perfectly consistent, and you're going to have a variable baseball. And everybody knows that. But that's kind of the fork in the road we're, we're heading toward here, where baseball might have to choose new ball, new manufacturing process, or we live with this. The, the part that would get me is, okay, so, you know, talking to, to Meredith, who you know really well, and we bring her on the program, if they've just made the ball better and it flies further – I, I get it, and I understand it, and you can change any way you want. The thing that will get me, though, is if it is true that you had a baseball that you used during the regular season, and then you switch it for the postseason, man, that I mean, it is their game. They can do what they want. But, boy, doesn't that sound scandalous? Well, I, I asked Rob Manfred when he did his all-star game press conference that he does every year uh, with, with baseball writers about – Going forward, what does this mean? And the one thing he said in response that stuck out to me was, if we're going to change the ball, we will make it public. So he would have already been going back on his word there. The argument they're putting forth, and this, this is not, uh, doesn't fit with what Rob Arthur at Perspectives is explaining, because he's saying the balls are so drastically different. Uh, but the argument they're putting forth is these things are made year-round. Every batch is different. They're very, you know, even if you look month to month, forget year to year, you know, the year is kind of an arbitrary barrier. Um, but it, it, they are producing these things in the factories every month, you know. So whatever batch got marked for the postseason, this is what happened uh, to be in that batch. That that's what they're saying. Is that hard to believe? Yeah, I, I you know, I get all the skepticism, which brings me back to that original point because I'm skeptical too. It's that original point of they have a trust problem here because they didn't know their own manufacturing process, right? If everything they're saying is true, they still did not know all these quality control problems existed until it was too late. Wow. I just, it's just it's hard to believe. But uh, you also, one of the things we love about The Athletic is just the journalism is second to none. And you did a great article talking about baseball and the health of baseball and about attendance and Gen Z and millennials. And How healthy do you think baseball is right now in 2019? I think it's healthier than has been probably publicly discussed because a lot of times what happens is you see – Attendance. It's the easiest way to look at um, the health of the sport. You know, that's in every single box score. Uh, but within that, I ha- I've had these questions for months, and I finally got answers to them. Well, you know, how many people are actually going who are fans? And uh, these people who do this, this sports poll that's been going for 25 years said that about 30% of Major League Baseball fans actually attend a game every year, which is not to say attendance is not important. Uh, but what I started to explore was, other forms of engagement and, and the way that the cell phone has changed the way people interact with sports and everything. And uh, this guy who runs this poll named Rich Luker 
was saying that, you know, what baseball is facing is really not a baseball problem specific to the sport. It's about consumption. It's about how people engage with free time, what they do in their free time and how they're always on their cell phones. And, um, you know, it's a Netflix issue. It's a, it's a borders bookstore issue. It's, it's not a baseball issue. Uh, but that said, there are things going on inside the sport and Rob Manfred acknowledged some of them. Uh, that they do need to address. You know, there's a lot of anonymity these days. Uh, one of the beautiful things about these playoffs, you, you're seeing starting pitchers go deeper. You know, you're, you're not seeing all these guys, you're like, I've never heard of him before. It, the stuff all these GMs do to win one more game, that doesn't always make for the best entertainment product, and, and people like Rob Manfred need to be considered of the actual entertainment value of the sport. Yeah, we had the commissioner on for the when we had the wild card game when the Athletics were hosting the Rays, and there was a, you know, the one thing about him that I do like is he's not afraid to make change. He knows that every business doesn't matter whether it's sports or whatever, business need, business need to change and keep up with the time. So I, I do like that about him. We'll see what the changes are going to be long term. Let's end on this: you were covering the Red Sox when there were issues with the Red Sox and the Astros when they were accused. Uh, they're accusing the Astros of cheating. I know the A's have had an issue with the Houston Astros. What do you think's going on with baseball? Because originally this came up with Glass now and his tipping his pitches, and it was pretty obvious what he was doing. But then I was saying, you know, there's been multiple teams that believe the Astros have been using technology to get an advantage. What has that world like been, like spying in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I, I, we've hit this point where there's a culture of paranoia, and the, the last time I really heavily reported on it was, was uh, 11 months ago, it was November last year, uh, where I was really trying to dig into this. As technology is growing here, this paranoia is not going to go away. I, there's really nothing MLB can do, not that they're doing enough, but you're, you're not going to create a climate where teams are going to look at other teams, smart teams, teams that are innovating, doing everything cutthroat they can to win, uh, and go, yeah, I trust that they don't have a camera in center field on our signs. Right? There is a reason people are issuing different sets of signs inside of an inning uh, when nobody's on base. It, 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 and I just don't know what you can do if you're baseball to prevent that. Um, you, know, the, you have fears that people go up to the plate with, with wearable technology, you know, something that could be pinged to know what a pitch is coming. You know, and the more technology you put into the game, the more fear you're going to have that people are – hacking it, whatever, you know, it's the kind of stuff that goes on in the NFL or, or, you know, or your headset's jammed or something like that. Um, so has it happened where people have done things that have been outside the rules? Of course, there's no question it has happened. Is it happening right now in this off season? Well, they, in, in this postseason, they wanted to make changes after last year because they thought it was getting out of hand. I, I just think you're always going to hear these grumbles uh, in this day and age. So you think the Astros love that everybody has this thing in the back of their mind, oh, the Astros are cheating. Do you think they kind of like like putting that, planting that seed in other teams' head? I, yeah, I think every team does. But I, but I think the suspicion also goes uh, to, to teams like the Dodgers and, and, and teams like the Yankees. You know, any of these smart, powerful teams, and probably any team, period, is doing stuff. Because the line between cheating and not cheating – it's in the rule book, but you can find the gray area. Okay, let's say you have a camera. All the cameras are supposed to be registered with MLB now. Uh, you have a feed going to an office rather than to, say, a dugout or the dugout steps. And then somehow that's being relayed in real time. And it, 
the, the different ways you can, what, what if somebody's making noise, banging on a drum or, or, or you know, banging on a garbage candy, the different ways you can try to relay things um, that or originate in technology you shouldn't have, you know, it's, it's, this is a very tough area to legislate and actually prevent against, which is why I think you're just going to reach a point where it's got to be, look, if somebody's getting your signs, it's on you because it's really nothing people can do at a certain point to cure your own paranoia. Evan, you guys are covering the game second to none, the athletic. We love reading it every single day. We appreciate the time. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Well, if you don't subscribe to the athletic, I would give you my recommendation. As a sports fan, the journalism, the true journalism, the writing, the research that goes behind it, it's second to none. And they give their authors, columnists, they give their guys the ability to write and do great pieces, sometimes very long pieces, which you're not going to see you know, on a lot of websites, especially not in the newspaper. I highly recommend The Athletic. Dr. Meredith Wills, astrophysicist, who we've had on the program multiple times here. She's local. And she took the world by storm by cutting up baseballs and saying, hey, I'm finding out things are definitely different. So we had to have the good doctor once again on A's Cast Live. Dr. Wills, how are we? I'm doing great. How are you? We are fantastic. And the athletic has been all over this as we're starting to realize just how involved Major League Baseball is with Rawlings. I think we all didn't know, but... uh, uh, we're starting to figure out that they've got a pretty. I'm not saying they're running, uh, they're running Rawlings, but they've got a bit. They basically the company is owned somehow, some way. Everybody who has a percentage is connected to Major League Baseball. And Evan Drellich, you, you're uh, who also works with the Athletic with yourself, had a great article mm-hmm. today breaking it down. Yeah, well, I mean, somebody affiliated with Major League Baseball owns pretty much all of Rawlings. So I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to say that, you know, they're basically in on everything. And the whole reason that they got involved was for, you know, greater oversight, greater quality control. Um, Certainly they're on the record where that's the reason they, they bought it. So that's the reason why they bought a controlling share. Okay. So you've been studying the baseball all year long. Do you want to start with what we've seen in 2019? Do you want to start with the postseason baseball? Where do you want to go first? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I guess the, the the short version is that, you know, we knew that the ball uh, was traveling way further during the regular season, and hence we broke lots and lots and lots of records. And all of a sudden, in the postseason, the ball has died. Um, long live the ball, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, Rob Arthur had some some really uh, really interesting article come out in Baseball Prospectus just in the last um, I guess the end of last week. And uh, what he's seeing is that in particular um, the drag on the ball this is just you know basically how how quickly it slows down when it travels through the air. It's uh, up three times above what it was uh, before during the regular season. Um, or Yeah, three times from what it was in the regular season. Uh, there's also uh, the Cardinals manager, uh, Mike Schultz, actually, you know, came out 
during a press conference and you know, was talking about that the team's analytics department is seeing the ball is carrying four and a half feet less than during the regular season on average. And if you look at the home run committee reports, it turns out that's a huge, huge drop. Like at their max, they were seeing um, changes about five feet. And so if the average is four and a half feet, that's nuts. Um, this is very, very different. And um, there seems to be two aspects. One is just that, again, more drag, the ball is slowing down more quickly when it's traveling to the air. There's also uh, lower exit velocities, which is basically that the um, that the ball just isn't coming off the bat as quickly as it was before. So the ball is is sort of double deadened, if you want to put it that way. Take us through exactly drag and how we and how we measure it. Um, well, it pretty much ends up with. Um, God, there's different ways to do it, but it starts with, you know, how fast they, uh, I think Rob did it specifically looking at fastball pitches, so there's a lot of data, but it's how fast the ball leaves the pitcher's hand versus how fast it is when it's getting to the plate, and if it slows, the more you see it slow down, like the slower it is when it gets to the plate, the greater drag it has, because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't it would have been at whatever speed you might have expected, say, during the regular season. And so the, the fastballs just are getting to the plate. You know, they're not as fast when they get there. And that's, uh, that's the way it's been measured. Uh, what, the, what you end up seeing as far as the ball, you know, for fly balls in particular, you know, you know all those, those home runs that aren't quite home runs all of a sudden, everybody waiting for the ball to go over the wall and suddenly it's a warning track uh, fly ball. Uh, you can actually even tell that the players are expecting the ball to travel further because they may be starting to compensate now, but certainly in the first few games, you'd see guys setting up on the warning track to catch a fly ball and then suddenly coming in like six or eight feet because the ball just was dying. It just wasn't going as far, um, slowing down faster. So um, that's really what it comes down to is basically just it's, it slows down faster as it goes through the air. And so um, you end up with more drag and fewer home runs and four and a half feet shorter. So, so if you took a ball that's in the playoffs right now and you took oh, a Oh, I will. I, that, that, well, see, this is, this is what's, you know, Major League Baseball is not dumb. I mean, at some point, everybody's going to have their hands on, on the different balls if they are different, because Major League Baseball is saying they're not. The only difference is the stamp that says postseason on it. They've got it from the same batches of baseballs that they have been using throughout the season. If you were able to have both balls and you cut them open, do you think you would be able to tell the difference? Well, yes, I think I would be able to tell the difference. Uh, there's, there's, At the very least, when I've looked at, I looked at postseason balls from 2015, and there absolutely is a difference once you get inside the cover and that in those cases there were these like three little dots that were on the thread part of this is, there's kind of a cotton thread layer and then on top of that you put the leather cover that you stitch on with the red laces um and i only ever saw those related to postseason balls so if mlb is saying that the ball from the regular season and the balls from the postseason are identical, 
then presumably those three dots shouldn't be there. And if they are there, I'm not sure why they would be there if the whole point is the ball is the same. Uh, the other thing that I found interesting is that as MLB is talking about, oh yeah, all the batches are the same and the only difference is presumably this stamp on the outside. Um, it turns out that it's incredibly easy to date, probably even like to the time of day that a ball was made in that all of the, every major league baseball that comes out of the factory in Costa Rica has a six letter or seven letter code on the inside that tells exactly the time and day it, or the day and the time that it was made. So I've in fact requested uh, from the commissioner's office the rubric for how to use those six or seven letters to identify exactly when the ball was made because presumably if they are regular season balls being used during the postseason that have somehow been mixed together, I should be able to tell, okay, this ball wasn't made, you know, in the second half specifically for the postseason. It was made before the season, for example. Um, but I need that information in order to confirm the veracity of the statement. So. Wow, I did not know that. So there is, you know, mm -hmm. there is a code on every single ball. Yeah, yeah. So my, my, my hope is that the commissioner's office is, is getting a hold of that for me because I'm not sure they knew there was a code on every single ball either. So. Oh. But you know what? Mm -hmm. The other thing is, do they have? I mean, I, it's their game. I, do they have the right to change? Do they have the right to change the ball from postseason to regular season, or regular? I should say regular season to postseason. According to the rules, they have the right to do whatever they want to with the ball. Um, where this has become an issue is really that uh, Commissioner Mansford has uh, stated repeatedly, and not just this year, but but going reasonably far back that. You know, first of all, there was some uh, discussion as far back as, say, 2017 about how, of course, they wouldn't change the ball. And then when things came up this season, uh, particularly midseason, with uh, Justin Verlander's um, outburst, I guess is really the best way to put it, during the, the press conference for the All-Star Game, um, the commissioner specifically said, you know, if we were to change the ball, we would let people know this would be a process that sort of thing and he then on top of that did an article or interview i should say with maury brown for forbes that really only came out not even three weeks ago in which he reiterated that uh although in the process he also said um when he was asked you know would the players be allowed any kind of input in the ball changing he specifically said no they wouldn't but he was you know going to be transparent with them because of course that was how he always acted with the players in that he was tended to be as a rule transparent with the players um it is worth noting that when this interview was done uh every single potential postseason club already had all of their postseason balls sitting in their various parks including the A's. so um yeah not really sure what to make of that. Wow, this is this is kind of getting fascinating. Um, I mean, if, there, if if there's a timestamp, 
Like, if I could get an A's postseason ball, we're going to have a time stamp. We'll know exactly when that ball was if, made. If you, can, if you can get me uh, any number of A's postseason balls, because they may still be there. Yeah, well, you know? well, I mean, there they, they're a lot. There are thousands of baseballs that they gave to every one of these uh, every one of these teams. And so I know you didn't use that many in the wildcard playoff. So, and the thing that 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 that, that gets me is. I have to think that every NBA basketball, every NFL football, every puck made in, in the National Hockey League, they've all got to be pretty darn similar. And one of the things about Evan's article was that, you know, not every baseball is equal. Why is it so tough to repeat the same ball in manufacturing? Well, what's interesting is that there actually are parts that – are easy to reproduce and it really comes down to the fact that some parts are um are automated and others are not uh the easiest thing to reproduce very very accurately is the interior inside that cotton thread layer because it's dependent purely on the yarn winding so quite literally and i can give you guys a link I don't know if you have a website, I forget, but there's like a link to a video from, from uh, the Science Channel from eight years ago, maybe, showing how you make a baseball. And basically, you take the cork or the pill, and they wrap the yarn around it once or twice, and then they just let the thing go. And the reason that that particular layer of yarn stops spinning is because there is a weight-triggered uh, toggle that once that yarn layer gets to a certain weight, the machine shuts itself off. At which point, there is a person who goes in and you know winds the next layer of yarn around once or twice, lets the machine go, machine shuts itself off once it gets to the next layer. Um, and it's done, it does this three times for every baseball uh, as well as for the cotton thread layer. And I can attest to the fact, having gone through and measured all of the stuff in detail, that those layers of yarn, even if the lengths of yarn are different, the weight of a given layer is identical, very, very close. So once you get inside the leather cover, the balls really are very, very similar. The problem is that the leather covers themselves tend to vary in terms of density, thickness, stuff like that, and so that's partly where you get the variation in things like size and weight, and also because of how stretchy the leather is, that's where you're going to get, say, seam height variations. And it, um, there's been some work done. Um, Rob Arthur was the one who did this recent Baseball Perspectives article showing change in drag. Uh, there's also Barton Smith out of Utah State who's done some really amazing work looking at how seam height can actually create drag. And what he's shown is that you need a tiny fraction of a millimeter difference, and you can increase drag substantially or, or decrease it, as the case may be. So, um, and similarly, you don't need to change the size very much to increase drag substantially. So a slightly larger ball, because, say, the leather is slightly thicker, is actually going to have much more drag than you might think. So it's not surprising that the balls behave differently, because by the time you get to the outer layer, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's basically dependent on the part of the cow the leather came off of. It's dependent on how 
skin that piece of leather gets, uh, how pliable it is, that sort of thing. So that's where you're kind of getting the variations, I think. Um, and I don't have a problem with that, uh, but whatever's going on, if there's no way you can explain drag being up by, you know, three times more than during the regular season by something like natural variation. I think uh, Rob Arthur worked out that it was a one in a million chance, literally. So it's hard to believe, but I guess it's true. I mean, the seams, you could change the seams just a little bit, and that would dramatically affect the ball. But you'd have to do it systematically, and I, I actually don't think it's going to be the same. I mean, I haven't looked at the postseason ball yet. Um, again, you guys know I live nearby, so, you know, by all means, <laughs> I'm happy to look. But um, I think if it was the seams, we would have heard something from the players by now. Because don't forget, these guys have been playing with the same ball all season. And the one thing we have not heard are complaints from pitchers. And previously, you know, when the ball's changed before, even if it's just been anonymous, there have absolutely been complaints from pitchers. So I suspect that the surface of the ball is probably identical. I have a feeling they're using exactly the same processes as far as, say, stitching the ball, drawing the ball, that sort of thing. I would be very surprised if this is coming from seam height. Well, it I also wouldn't explain the change in exit velocity, by the way. Seam height would not explain that. It's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it absolutely fascinating? Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's like, you know, you you got people talking about the game, which is obviously a good thing. It's just the question of changing equipment from regular season to postseason. I mean, we haven't had. I, I've been saying this. We haven't had this much talk about a ball since Tom Brady and Deflate Gate. That, that considering the the messaging that, that MLB has had all through the season, you sort of got the impression that they wanted people to stop talking about the ball already. And so I'm not entirely sure why this is happening. I mean, what 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 I am, you know, what I am reasonably sure of, and because don't forget with the the, the regular season ball, um, MLB officials. Uh, anonymously, but they did go on the record at the beginning of April saying that they knew the ball had lower drag, the 2019 regular season ball. It was never referred to after that by the commissioner's office, but it absolutely was reported in the New York Post. It's there. Um, So they knew basically before the season started there was going to be lower drag, um, and it was from internal testing which is something that the uh, Home Run Committee really insisted on, you know, so presumably wind tunnel, something like that. Uh, that's not that difficult to do or even install at the factory. And so unless they suddenly decided that they weren't going to use internal testing for the uh, postseason ball after having done it for the regular season, uh, don't forget it takes months to make these baseballs. They would have been making these back, you know, Oh, I don't know, August maybe. Uh, and so I, I find it a little strange that you would suddenly have thousands and thousands of baseballs that all seem to be having the same problem that would either not have been tested or would have been tested and nobody was informed despite the fact that 
Commissioner Manfred has been discussing the importance of transparency. So it's it's, it's really a puzzle. Um, and I, regardless of, you know, people talk are, are talking a lot about, you know, is this an accident? Is this on purpose? I can't speak to that, certainly not until I've seen the baseballs, but the fact, I, I find it hard to believe that MLB would not have known back when these balls were first being produced, and I mean first being produced, because they're all the same. You know, they have to know from the first couple of baseballs, okay, this is how they're ending up, um, that, you know, they, they, they had to have known while they were being produced that there was something different, and yet nobody knew. I mean, the, the front office for the Cardinals didn't know because their own analytics department had to derive it. So it's not like somebody told the GM of the Cardinals, oh, yeah, by the way, the ball's going to be different, and somehow he kept it to himself. I mean, unless he told nobody in this front office. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's the lack of transparency, I think, is almost the biggest issue. Yeah. It, 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 there, I mean, obviously, we saw with AAA where they hit over 2,000 more home runs than were hit the, the year before. We have record-breaking home runs this year. And, mm-hmm. and certain guys have been around. And, I mean, Justin Verlander is a future Hall of Famer. I mean, this is his career. And when he comes out, mm-hmm. he tells you the ball's different, and then they kind of slap him on the wrist saying, stop talking about it. You know, it would be – And it worked. And it worked because, you know what, everybody's kind of gone hush-hush ever since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will admit I find it interesting. Um, and, again, this, this, I think this speaks more to their culture than anything, that if you remember there was a lot of um, – consternation in 2017 with Houston in particular about, and I have not looked at 2017 World Series balls, but they specifically were talking about the World Series balls. I don't know if they meant postseason in general, but certainly with World Series, that they thought the balls had been juiced to the point of people within the team themselves cut a few balls open. And I don't remember if they said they found something different or not, but at the very least they felt motivated to do this because they were so convinced that the ball was different. Um, meanwhile, uh, AJ Hinch has come out, you know, when he was asked about the ball uh, recently in an interview, he basically said, oh, that doesn't make any difference to me. I really don't want to discuss it. It doesn't matter. And that's a very big cultural change in two years. <laughs> so I don't get it. Um, I genuinely don't, especially because in this case, it's, you know, it's not subtle. Uh, you know, I don't remember other than Houston people complaining drastically about the change, a change in the postseason ball. Pitchers do occasionally because the balls are smoother, although I think that may just be because Rawlings tends to associate a quote-unquote better baseball with smoother leather. So that sort of doesn't surprise me, but that the change is so drastic, um, and yet, I mean, different players will say different things, but uh, it's this is being picked up in a way that's very different than than any previous postseason, and I don't get why it changed all of a sudden. I mean, it has to be those those presumably. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing a pallet. I haven't seen one of them, but you know, I'm picturing a massive pallet. A postseason balls, and somehow every one of those balls was made differently. Um, you know, I can't, I can't think of another reason. Obviously, I will know very soon when um, 
you know, what the difference is. But there's no way that you can explain, you know, a one in a million chance like that. I'm sorry. I want those lottery numbers. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it. And you know we will be in touch very, very soon. Oh, I hope so. When it's all said and done, we'll see how Major League Baseball is going to handle the baseball, the issue of the baseball in the offseason. Because this is not going to go away. And then how does it play out next year? Are we using the same ball in the postseason as the regular season? Are we? They say we are. What ball are they going to use in 2020? As recently one anonymous general manager in baseball said, I'd like to know what baseball is going to be used, and then that's how I'm going to build my team. A lot of interesting comments and it's not going to stop. We want to thank Johnny Gomes. We want to thank Nick Swisher. We want to thank Evan Drellich from The Athletic, along with Dr. Meredith Wills. You've been listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.